everyone. Welcome to my fake living room. For those of you um, listening to the podcast, you don't see what I'm talking about. Allow me to explain. I have a fake Zoom background behind me as I'm recording today. It's a lovely living room. I got so overwhelmed trying to find times to record when I have showered and gotten dressed and done my hair and makeup and don't have a ton of children and dogs making noise in the background. And then on top of it all to try to find a clean corner of my house to have in my background just was getting really overwhelming. So I, uh, if motherhood has taught me anything, it's that it's okay to take shortcuts once in a while. So finally today I decided, you know what, I'm just going to do a fake background that you get what you get and that's it. Um, so it's so easy in life to compare ourselves to the little tiny glimpses that we get of other people's worlds and their homes and their lives. And we compare ourselves to like our whole life and the mess of everything to that one teeny tiny glimpse that we get. Um, and it's not fair to do to ourselves. So I just want you all to know very clearly that this is not really what my house looks like. It is um, not this beautifully designed and it's not this clean at all. So don't, do not compare yourself to that. Um, today, I'm going to share with you my own birth story from my first birth. First, um, for those of you who might be new around here, welcome. This is the Birth Zone podcast and YouTube channel. Um, the, the Birth Zone is um, a boutique doula agency serving the Chicago and Milwaukee areas. So I am the owner of the Birth Zone, um, Jasmine Sasek, and I am also a childbirth doula and childbirth educator. Um, our whole goal here is to help make your start to parenthood as uh hopefully easy as possible with minimal trauma and maximum empowerment and amazement with the whole process. Uh, so that's what we try to do. So let me go ahead and dive in and tell you about my first birth story. Um, my It's October and my firstborn uh, turns 14 this month. I can't believe it. So um, let's, let's see where to begin. Um, I was approaching my due date and getting really huge. I'd had a very kind of textbook pregnancy. Um, I'd gained a ton of weight. My stomach got really big, but I did not have gestational diabetes. Um, although I did fail just like by literally one point, my one hour gestational diabetes test. So I did my two hour test. Um, I was seeing midwives um, and planning a hospital birth the hospital where I was delivering had what's called an alternative birthing center. So really it was on the maternity floor, um, but instead of kind of their traditional hospital rooms, they had two rooms set aside that for, for people who were having births without any medical interventions, they could birth and actually deliver in tubs if they wanted to in those rooms. So it kind of had all the extra bells and whistles for birth. That was my plan. Um, I loved the thought of, I don't know why, but I just really was drawn towards natural birth, unmedicated birth. That was really my plan and my hope and my desire all along. Um, and I really loved the idea of a water birth. So um, I had really toyed with the idea of having a home birth, but that made me nervous being my first birth and just not knowing what to expect or what was going to happen. So decided to do this kind of in-between option where I got to still go to a hospital, but still hopefully would get to have that water birth experience and um, the support of midwives. So um, we're getting closer to my due date. Um, things are still healthy. One of my midwives, there were three midwives at the practice. One kind of kept harping on my weight gain, which I really did not appreciate. It's like, it is what it is at this point. I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. I gained like 50 pounds. Um, but my baby, you know, was was looking like it was going to be a larger baby. 
um, especially as my pregnancy kept going on and on and on. Somewhere, uh, I would say before my due date, maybe 39-ish weeks, um, my midwife um, did a cervical exam for me, which is when they insert their fingers into your vagina uh, and feel your cervix to kind of see where it's at. And I think I was a couple centimeters dilated at that point. Um, and um, I started having some some spotting afterwards, some um, kind of what felt like maybe Braxton Hicks or practice contractions, some cramping. And my mother-in-law was planning to come to my birth along with my mom and, and my sister-in-law. So my mother-in-law and sister and my mother-in-law, who, who was a labor and delivery nurse, um, and my sister-in-law came into town from out of town because it kind of was like, oh, this sounds like it might be it. Um, it was not it. Um, I kept having a lot of, you know, uterine irritability, a lot of contractions. You know what? I apologize. I was 37 weeks, I believe, at that time now that I'm remembering it. Um, so it was still a bit, you know, a bit early, a full, full term, but but a bit early to really be going into labor with my first, usually. So I did at one point go to the hospital, um, you know, kind of the next day after all this happened, because I was still just, you know, feeling a lot of discomfort. Um and they checked me on the monitors, put me on, on kind of those non-stress test monitors where they put monitors around your belt to check the baby's heart rate and the baby's movements. And it was picking up that I was definitely having some contractions, but I was not having cervical change yet. I was dilated to three centimeters um, and nothing was really checked. You know, this wasn't labor yet. This was early labor. I now know um, after walking through this journey with so many people that this is totally normal. Um, this is just what happens at the end of pregnancy for a lot of people, some spotting, some crampiness, uh, some some contractions coming and going over time that really aren't like it yet. But at the time, you know, you and and still when, when that happens to you, you just aren't sure what's going on, especially if it's your first time doing this. So um, they... Um, helped me get some rest and rehydrate me. That's a big thing that you can do if you are having a lot of those Braxton Hicks or early contractions is make sure that you're really well hydrated and that will often kick it, kick them out. Um, so mother-in-law and sister-in-law left town mm -hmm. and we all went back about our normal lives for a couple of weeks. Um, and um, I've also learned that that is a really common response after a cervical exam, especially if the you know, if the midwife, you know, or doctor kind of stirs things up in there a little bit, does a little bit of what's called a membrane stretch and sweep. Um, you know, you've caused a lot of irritability in your cervix and your body starts responding to that. So it's kind of kind of fakes or mimics some signs that look like it could be labor, but it's not it yet. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, and ultimately that check really didn't help anything. It didn't do anything to progress my labor, you know, to get me into labor or anything like that. And it didn't give us any usable information. Okay, so we found out I was a couple centimeters dilated, but it didn't really matter. Um, so I continued to carry um, through my pregnancy. And at around 41 weeks or so, I went back to my midwife again. I mean, I was probably going in between there as well. But this is the next one that I remember. Um, checked me again, still three centimeters dilated. Um you know, but looking like maybe this is getting closer. Maybe, you know, I'll be going into labor soon, hopefully. You know, I'm 41 weeks now, a week past my due date. Um, so um, went home from that appointment um, that night, went out to dinner with my husband because we were kind of hoping that this was going to be it, that we were going to have our baby soon. Um, so we thought, well, we'll go out for one last dinner together. Got home, I had a lovely dinner down the street, Went, got home from dinner and I had left my phone at home during dinner and found um, that my mom had called me 
Um, my brother who had epilepsy um, and had some, some pretty bad seizures on a pretty regular basis. He was t- almost 22 years old at the time. It was, it was just like a week before his 21st birthday um, or a couple days before his 21st birthday, perhaps. But um, he um, had had a really bad seizure and uh, was in intensive care at the hospital. And, you know, he was in the hospital a lot for different seizures and I couldn't quite tell. It's like, you know, nine, 10 o'clock at night. I'm tired. I'm pregnant. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what to do with this information. And my parents lived, you know, maybe 45, 50 minutes away from us. Um, so I'm kind of trying to, my mom's trying to kind of, I think, downplay things and sound very calm about it. So I just kind of remember asking her like, well, what, what's really the situation? How, you know, how is he going to be okay? How are things? And she just, her response to it was, well, you know, he's not, he's not going to die tonight. And that was when it sort of hit me like, oh, he's, I guess he's dying. This is really serious. So my husband and I um, kind of flew out of the house and went to the hospital where my whole family was. And it turns out they'd been there all evening, um, you know, since this happened. And there was some debate in the family since I was, you know, hugely pregnant as to whether or not to tell me. Um, And then, like I said, I was out to dinner without my phone anyway. So um, it's all a little relevant to the story just because it's so intertwined for me and and it is intertwined with my birth story um, because he ended up being on life support for, for a couple of days. That was Friday night and um, he ended up passing away on Sunday, kind of midday on Sunday. So, you know, we spent that whole weekend kind of at the hospital um, just in like the, the ICU waiting room and friends and family all coming to visit us. And it was really hard for me because I felt like I was sort of the natural focal point. I mean, we had, we had so many people come and visit, which was amazing. Um, and I know my parents really appreciated it, but I felt, I felt all this pressure that I was like the focal point for everyone is this enormously pregnant woman sitting in the middle of the room. Um, that was, you know, the, the kind of safe topic for everybody to talk about. Um, I did start getting pretty swollen during that time, which is, can be a sign of preeclampsia. So, um, I actually, at my aunt's suggestion, went to the emergency room of the hospital we were in, just to ask them to please take my blood pressure, which was on the higher side at that point. Um, so we called my midwives and explained it to them and they said, go home, get some sleep, come in tomorrow. We'll talk about it tomorrow. So that's what we did. Um, this was kind of, I don't know, sometime around the day that my brother was passing away. And so went on Monday morning to my midwives. Um, blood pressure was still high, but if I laid down on my side, it was stable um, and lower. So, you know, we kind of made a plan. I My brother's celebration of life service, you know, what, what would be a funeral for most people was the next day on Tuesday. And so we made a plan that I really wanted to go to that. So um, midwife said, well, if you go home and just kind of rest in this position because your body is liking this position, this is going well. So at this point, you know, I'm now 41 and some days pregnant, um, you know, have kind of sporadically high blood pressure. I'm huge. I'm swelling. So went home, did exactly that, rested the whole time on my side, made it to the um, funeral celebration of life service the next day once again, being everyone's favorite topic of conversation. (laughs) Um, And then went from there to the hospital for my induction. So um, we had this, the service and we had a little reception time afterwards with everyone and all the guests. And then I went to the hospital. Um, 
and they admitted me and started my induction. Um, I did not want to be induced. This meant I could no longer be in the uh, those alternative birthing rooms. So I couldn't have the water birth that I had planned on. But it was definitely the best decision for me at the time. I was also, um, this is where I say it's kind of also integral to my to my birth story, my brother's passing, because I just was grieving so heavily during this whole time. And I was, I was um, so kind of disconnected at that point from my baby, from my birth. Um, I was almost sort of resentful that I had to go through that. And I just remember being so grateful that I had hired midwives that I really felt secure with whatever their decisions were because I no longer wanted to have to research or educate myself on anything. I did not want to have to advocate for anything. I just wanted to do what they said. And it really became apparent because I, I'm the type of person who I could have seen myself going with any old doctor and just figuring, well, I'm really strong in my convictions. I'll just, I'll just fight for what I want and that won't be a problem. And under normal circumstances for me, that would be true. That wouldn't be a problem. But here, something totally out of the blue happened, and I no longer could advocate for myself. So I was really, really grateful that I had chosen so wisely my medical team um, and my hospital setting. And I'm, I'm still so, so grateful that I had that um, because my induction ended up being quite long and quite difficult. And I'm certain that in almost any other hospital in our area with almost any other medical team, uh, I, I probably would have ended up with quite different circumstances of my birth. And I'm very grateful for what I do have out of it that worked out well for me and my baby. So we started the induction. We started with something called Cervidil, which is a gel that they can put um, insert vaginally next to your cervix, and it helps to sort of ripen your cervix. Oh, quick note on that, though. When I got to the hospital for my induction, uh, they did a cervical exam and guess what? My cervix was totally closed, totally closed. Maybe a fingertip, she said. And I had been walking around for since 37 weeks. So for a month at three centimeters dilated, and I had been checked numerous times by numerous different midwives um, who all confirmed that I was three centimeters dilated. So a couple notes on that from my doula lens being that, um, first of all, that's what I mean when I say cervical checks really don't tell us very much information unless we're going to use that information right now to make a decision. Like it doesn't tell us anything because the cervix changes. It can open, it can close, it can do all kinds of funky things. So it really, we never needed that information um, that I was dilated to three centimeters up till that point. Because if anything, it just made me feel that much more defeated when I went in to actually go have labor and be induced that I was like, oh my God, we're starting from further than we were before. Second is how amazing our bodies are at adapting to our environment. So biologically, we are wired to not go into labor when we are super stressed or scared, right? Um, so that if we are like out running away from a predator or a forest fire, our bodies shut down and we're not trying to have a baby during the middle of that running away. So it makes total sense to me that in the middle of the, the most traumatic event of my life, my body would literally shut down and close my cervix and stop labor from happening because that's what I was wanting. I was I was terrified I was going to go into labor that whole weekend sitting there at my brother's bedside. So um, just, just a couple little notes on that that I find absolutely fascinating. So yeah, we're kind of starting over really from the beginning with my induction. Started with Cervidil overnight that night. Um, that was Tuesday evening, um, probably started the Cervidil, I don't know, eight or nine o'clock at night, something like that. Um, and then that stayed in until the morning. And um, I was uncomfortable. I was Cervidil 
much like the reaction that people can have to a cervical exam, which I'd also had, but then also the Cervidil because it's doing its job of ripening your cervix and getting it kind of soft and ready to open, you're going to have discomfort from that often. So I had that discomfort all night. I had backache. I had um, I was just achy and tired and couldn't sleep and couldn't get comfortable. And you're in a hospital and they're coming to check your vitals and all of that. So I tried to stay in bed. I tried to rest as much as I could, but I did not really get a whole lot of rest that night. And this is coming off of, I had not slept since, since Thursday night, really. Now we're, we're on um, Tuesday night because Thursday night I slept, but then Friday night was the night that we went to the hospital. And so Friday, Saturday um, night, Friday and Saturday night, especially while my brother was still alive, but we knew he was dying. It was just, you're just laying there grieving all night and can't sleep. Um, and then same thing, Sunday and Monday night really did not sleep well. So for four nights prior to even going in for my induction, I had really not gotten any, any solid sleep at all. And then, um, you know, so we start the induction on Tuesday night, um, still don't get very much sleep that night. I'm now just like a zombie and totally exhausted. Um, in the morning, they the plan was to start Pitocin. The midwife came in and saw me laying in bed. And as much as I love my midwives, there's a couple, you know, a couple things <laughs> always that just, I think we're all people with different personalities. And so I don't even remember which midwife it was, but she looks at me and says, you should get up and move around. You know, you should be up moving because this is the last time you're going to get to get up out of bed for a while, which in hindsight, I think I took that to mean like, oh, once you start this Pitocin, you're stuck in bed. And I did not, um, I wish I had had a doula with me more than anything for that one comment alone, because I think that really set me up or a whole different situation of things by, by just thinking I was being told to stay in bed after that. And I wasn't, I know, I now know we get people all the time um, with Pitocin, unless you have an epidural or pain medication that you can't get out of bed. And even in bed, you can move around a lot. So anyway, Wednesday morning, I got up, walked the halls for an hour or two before we started my Pitocin. Um, was having some contractions, was feeling pretty good about things, started Pitocin, stayed in bed 100% of the time after that because I thought I wasn't supposed to get up. I thought that's what the midwife had said to me, which really wasn't what she meant to say, but that's how I'd heard it. So we start the Pitocin, I stay in bed, um, and, and nothing really happens. And we go hour after hour after hour after hour after hour of Pitocin, which is a medication that just stays on your IV and keeps going the rest of the time you're in labor. Um, and it never really kicked me into high gear labor very much. Um, I just, you know, it was like 12 hours, 15 hours, 18 hours later, still sitting there, nothing much happening. At some point they did break my water because um, we were thinking, well, maybe that'll kind of speed things up. Sometimes that can happen. A lot of times it doesn't. It did not speed things up. So I'm still just laying there in bed, totally exhausted. I am starting to have, you know, some contractions. They're just not nearly as strong as they like to see with Pitocin. They've got my Pitocin turned all the way up, the highest dosage they can give me. We've gone through a couple bags of it. Nothing much is happening. Um, so this is all day Wednesday. We go into Thursday, same thing, just keep the Pitocin going and uh, nothing much is happening now. I've been in the hospital for, I've been on Pitocin for over 24 hours now and I had 12 hours before that of Cervidil in the hospital. Um, at some point along here, I decided to get an epidural because I was having a lot of 
back labor or back pain. Um, so I was starting to really feel the contractions, but they were still, every time they would check me, I was making small progress, very small. So I started at zero and now I made it to two and then maybe a four, but it was still very, very, very slow going. Um, so I did get an epidural, um, which helped pretty well for a couple of hours with the back pain. And um, so I could sleep finally, because I had not slept. Now it's um, Thursday. I had not, so I had not really gotten a full night of sleep in over a, in a week. Um, so I, not that you ever get a full night of sleep anyway, when you're 41 weeks pregnant, but um, I was able to at least take a nap because this is the first time I had napped in the 36 hours that I'd been there really. So I took a nap for a couple of hours, woke up, um, back pain is coming back again. And that was getting me pretty frantic because it was pretty bad and there wasn't much I could do, especially without feeling like my uh, epidural was really working the way that it had. So we keep kind of plugging through. This is where, again, I really wish I'd had a doula. She would have known so many tools. My husband was super attentive. My mom was there. My mother-in-law was there. My dad was there. I had all these people there, but there's just something different about having somebody else in the room to, you know, who's not related to you, who's not worried about stepping on your toes to come and say, hey, let's get up on hands and knees for a while, or let's try this position or, um, you know, this or that. And I didn't have that support. So uh, I did, um, at, you know, the, as the back pain kept getting worse, we finally, you know, kind of checked me again. And I was kind of done. This was now Thursday night, you know, I'd been there for, um, you know, almost two full days now at this point. And they checked me and I was like nine, nine and a half centimeters. I was like so close, but it had been going so slowly that I just felt like I, I finally said, okay, let's do an epidural. I also at this point had a fever. So they were starting antibiotics on me. Um, my, my water had been broken for 24 ish hours now. So I finally kind of said, I mean, I was sobbing about it, but I said, yeah, let's do a C-section. I'm, I'm done. I'm ready to, to be done. Um, and my midwife knew that that was really crushing for me. And so she kind of said, well, let's try. She said, you know, she kind of thought about things. She said, well, let's try pushing a little bit and see what happens with this being, you know, you only being nine centimeters. Let's see what happens. And so I pushed, um, and it was so much work and so hard. And I pushed and pushed and pushed for three hours. Um, we did try different positions in the bed. Um, you know, my midwife was great at suggesting, let's try hands and knees, let's try these different positions. Um, and she was also really great because I just was so exhausted. And after I'd push and then I'd say, I can't do it. I just, I can't do it. And she finally started saying to me, okay, you need to change your language and start saying, I can do it. And it almost became like a mantra to me. It was so funny. I'd push and then I'd I'd start saying, I can't do it. And I'd remember her telling me, you can't say that. So then I'd switch it. It's halfway through the sentence. I'd say, I can't, I can do it. <laughs> I can do it. Um, and it got me through. So I pushed for three long, hard, hard hours and I managed to do it. I got my baby out. Um, just, just luck at that point. I mean, a whole lot of people in my position end up with C-sections and there's nothing wrong with that either because it was a really hard situation. My baby was sunny side up and she was a whopping 10 pounds. So um, I had a lot working against me there between 
no sleep and 10 pound baby and sunny side up, which means she's just facing and not the optimal position in the birth canal. And um, that's what causes, probably caused a lot of my back pain. It's very common to have back pain with that present presentation. And it's also very common that it's so much harder to push when baby is in that position. Um, so yeah, she came out. Um, she did not uh, breathe right away. So they did have to take her over to the warmer. And of course, this is with my parents in the room who've literally just lost their son this week, a couple days ago. And, you know, the midwife is working on the baby and the nurse trying to stimulate the baby. And I remember at one point, one of them saying, come on, baby, breathe. And I was like, oh my God, please let this baby be alive. Uh, but she did. It felt like forever to us. I don't think it was really all that long in hindsight, but um, yeah. My baby breathed and was beautiful, and uh, that's my birth story. I had a pretty easy recovery after that. Went home two days later, um, and that's my that's my birth story of my first one. So I will do another recording another time with my second birth story. I've given birth twice. And then I was like, that's enough of that. No, I'm kidding. I actually loved giving birth, especially my second time. Things went much differently. Um, but it had always been a dream of mine to do um, adoption for growing my family. So my husband and I went on to do foster care after that and um, added to our family in that way which is sort of a whole different type of birth story, <laughs> but uh, not necessarily relevant to this podcast in particular. So that's my birth story. If you ever have questions, I'm a pretty open book. I'm pretty happy to talk about it. Hope you enjoyed listening. And you can always find me on thebirthzone.com. That's T-H-E-B-I-R-T-H-Z-O-N-E.com. Thanks so much, everybody.